and they absolutely destroyed the place on purpose. Um, oh. And, you know, in a four unit building, uh, it's closing in on 28, almost $29,000. There you go. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you, Ed? I'm doing well. I'm doing hey, well. Hey, welcome to the business line. Appreciate Thank you, you joining us today. My pleasure. Hey, um, I'm excited. You when when Matt, our producer, gave me some information about you, told you you're going to be on, and we started talking about you. I was excited because I'm a I'm a uh, an unapologetically failed real estate investing person. Oh, okay. And but I love it. And it's a it's a All part right. of my story, but I want to focus on your story because sure. the wide wild world of real estate investing and all the great opportunities and, and things that can happen. I've always wanted to really sit down and talk to someone who's kind of pushed through and made made things work. You know, you see things and you read books by people and you see their podcasts and you and you see their ads or you go to their seminars and all the kind of right, stuff. Right. It's it's it's. I just love talking to people that are real that are kind of in the thick of it every day. So I I can't wait to learn about that. But before we get ahead of ourselves, introduce yourself to our audience. And then let's, I want to get to know a little bit about your past and how do you get, how you got to where you are today. So I actually come from your world. Uh, I am a, uh, what do they call a, a, a a technology person who isn't an engineer, a technologist, I guess. Uh, So I'm a sales and marketing. Yeah, 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 right. (laughs) Story of my life. Um, So the, so I, I actually spent about 24, almost 25 years in Silicon Valley slinging software and services for a whole bunch of companies. One or two of them you might have heard, most of them you haven't. And uh, loved a lot of it, um, loved almost all of it until the last like month or two when I was like, all right, brain shutting off. I've got to go do something else. You know, the uh, so the real estate had always been something I gravitated toward. It was always something that I did as a side hustle. I started investing in real estate in... 2011 did it as a side hustle for better part of seven years and you know basically what that means what that meant back then was uh, I bought a multifamily fixed it up on the weekends started to get to, to cash flow fairly quickly actually got how many hooked. units were in the multifamily four four yeah okay it was simple simple uh, building yeah. in fact I'm selling it next week huh. and uh, which is a really cool story unto itself um so we would flip a couple houses on the side. I had a, a, a partner slash employee, depending on the deal, uh, who was a general contractor. And so I would find them, underwrite them, figure out what to do with them, and then hand them off and give them to my buddy. And, and he would return back, a you know, basically a brand new house in 90 days. And so yeah. we would flip a couple houses and then I'd take the cap, my share of the capital and I'd go buy another multi and we'd flip a couple more houses and buy another multi. And so rinse and repeated for about seven years. And in and what market were you doing this in? Here in Connecticut. In Connecticut. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, I, I, back then I was of the opinion that I wanted to be able to touch the building when I needed to. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, obviously Connecticut is a, is a thriving state, you know, economically and, and, um, also was able to, uh, find deals that penciled and made sense for, for me and my partners. And so, you know, that's where we stayed. Um, then let's see, towards the end of 2017, uh, I really started to think about, 
uh, family. And, you know, my, my kids were young still, they were uh, preteen at that point, my two girls, mm -hmm. but I was missing a lot of stuff. I was missing, you know, I was traveling 150 plus nights a year. I was just gone. And, uh, you know, it was exciting. And, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's, who's, uh, just changed careers and is now traveling for his job. And, you know, I said, you know, business travel wears off about 20 minutes into your first trip, right? Yeah. The glamour of it all, you know? Yeah. And so what it really started to be was just me missing parent-teacher conferences and choral concerts and soccer games and swim meets and, uh, you know, how was your day and having dinner with the kids and my wife. And, and uh, so that really started to tug on me and it, it always did tug on me, but it really started to tug on me. Um, you know, about that time. And it just happened to coincide that the cash flow from our portfolio basically replaced what I was making in corporate America. So, you know, I walked into my, well, virtually I called him actually into my uh, boss's office and said, I'm giving you 30 days notice. I'm done. And, uh, you know, it was, it was like the weight of the world coming off of me. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, a lot of different experiences though, right? You know, I, I, I reached certain levels in my career. I ran a couple of companies. I, you know, I was a sales guy. I was a marketing guy. I was an operations guy. I wore a lot of hats. I got to wear, you know, I got to do a lot of really cool things with some really interesting and amazing, successfully successful people. And, um, so I was able to take all those experiences and kind of boil it down into my real estate world. And so I went full-time in real estate, uh, February 2nd, 2018. So six years ago. And here we are. Wow. And that's a real, that's so cool. Yeah. My kids, my kids enjoy, uh, having dad around and that those, those kids are now 21 and 16. So, uh, we got one successfully launched into college and working on the second one and and uh, my wife still likes me and I still like her, which is always a good thing. And, that's plus. And so, yeah, that's yeah, it's bonus a huge right plus, there, you know? right? Yeah. Um, I know a lot of folks that didn't make it because of the travel schedules and all that. So, um, yeah. So, I'm a lucky guy and and uh, it's not hard to get out of bed on Monday morning. I can't wait to get to work because yeah. it's a blast. You know, it's, it's interesting. I want to go back to 2011 real quick because sure. for me personally – it hits because that's around the time when I kind of got my eyes open to that yeah. kind of real estate investing opportunity. I think a lot of people about three years after, you know, the market, the the residential market crash and stuff started right. to kind of, uh, there was enough of it going on where people were starting to kind of like sell their product on how to do this and how to do that or yeah, whatever. And it kind of came and I was right. just, I was opened up to, you know, having my own business and stuff in general. I wasn't there yet, but I was... Yeah. You know, I was, it was teasing me. I was starting to read books and starting to understand other things were out there. And, yep. um, I can remember, it would have been about 2011 that I, I don't even remember. It was a couple books down the chain of kind of personal development and stuff. And I think a Kiyosaki book got in front of me. Yeah. And then, you know, Same. there's the rich dad, poor dad and cash flow quadrant and stuff like that. And then that's what got me lit. The, yep. In the back, I think it was in the back of cash flow quadrant is the contact information to contact his organization to get the next level of coaching, right? And it's funny because I was, I'd taken a new job about a year before that because I got fired. I was in nonprofit work. I was nonprofit executive, fundraiser, yep. marketer, that kind of stuff. I loved it. I thought I was going to save the world. Um, my rose-colored glasses were shattered pretty quick 
when I got when when politics and board politics and all that kind of stuff started getting yeah. in the way, and I'm like, I'm not playing this. I'm not doing this anymore. Right. So I got into IT sales and tech sales and stuff. And but I knew there was I, I was always kind of like looking for something, right? Yep. And then so I was like, you know, I, I was commuting two hours from home, so I was away from home all week. And I had a young son that I never got to see. And I've got nothing to do after work's done. I'm still at the office. Everybody's gone. I'm working on my craft, trying to figure out how to sell managed services. And in between, I'm reading this other book. And I get to the end of it. Oh, that was amazing. It was a really good book. But now what? So I'm like, right. oh, that's why they put that there. So I literally I picked up the phone, put my number, you know, and put my name down. They called me the next night. And, the, you know, they're trying to close me on this coaching program. They're like, they're like get your wife on the phone. Get your wife on the phone. We're going to make a decision now. You got to do this. Right. You know what I mean? And I got her on the phone. She was so mad at me. So mad. I'm telling you, Ed, she could have killed me. She could have jumped through the phone and killed me. It's because good thing you, you were out. The, the hard sale right yeah. there. But I did it. I did the coaching program and we kind of went through it together and learned a little bit about what to do next. And we got, I did that. I got in, into that for about a year and I was mm-hmm. doing yellow, yellow letter campaigns, writing handlet hundreds of them a week I was going out and I was getting calls back. I was right on the edge and then I had my daughter. So now I had a two-year-old son and a daughter and even, and I, my focus shifted Sure. And I dropped the ball on that. Let that go, but I learned a ton of stuff. You know, I'd right. gone to some RIA meetings and I'd written a bunch of letters and I'd talk to people who'd call me and like, how'd you get my information? I don't want to sell my house. And, and right. then the next person would be like, yeah, come look at my house. I'm thinking of right. selling. My dad just died and, you know, that kind of stuff. And right. so it was, I was so close, so close to, to kind of taking that step to, to where you got, because I never, I talked to people about perching their property. I... I talked to people, you know, and I had a person that would call back on the West Coast. It was a successful investor. And he's like, hey, is it going to cash flow? And he was like, he would just slap me in the face. Like, this thing is not going to cash flow ever. You know, right. don't make a mistake. But anyway, how did, in two, in, back in 2011, how did you get to the point where you knew you were going to start doing this? So I'm going to take you back a few more years prior to that. So okay. 2008, a close friend of mine gave me Kiyosaki's book, Okay, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And yep. then I... I'm a voracious reader. I probably read a book every week or two. Were you and, always like that, or did yeah? That... I, I was an English major. I just oh, I, I'm a reader. See, I was never so, a reader. Yeah, it, uh, most of it these one. days are audible because I'm doing other things when I'm yeah. cooking. You know, cook, yeah. doing my thing. But yeah. Um, so I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant. I, I blew through all of my role. I read McElroy's books and uh, the ABCs and uh, T- Tom Real- Wheelwright's book on accounting. And just consumed as much as I could. Um, I bought, you know, uh, late night infomercial uh, training, um, yep. Carlton Sheets and Ron Legrand. And what was the other one? Robert Allen, you know, no doubt, nothing down for the 2000s. You know, I, <laughs> I, I couldn't get enough, right? I was just totally hooked. Consuming, yeah. And for, for two reasons. One, I was really passionate about it. And I saw that that was a path in my future that I was going to take come hell or high water. Um, The other part of it was analysis paralysis. I was terrified, right? Signing that contract. I mean, to this day, I've been doing this for 13 plus years. Yeah. My handshakes on every contract I sign and you know, it should, right? So, you know, one of the challenges that people have when they're transitioning from find, you know, looking for deals, finding deals and doing deals is that, that final barrier of, okay, this is getting real. Right. Yep. And it took me three years to, to climb that mountain. 
And yeah, so, I was trying to learn how to flip contracts. I was trying to learn how to buy wholesale and then flip them in a few days. Yeah. Right. And right. I was so close. And I, and I, and I don't regret it because I love where I'm at now because I learned a lot in that. Yeah, you learned something about it, right? I mean, at the yeah. very least, you learn, you know, marketing and how to deal with people and, and customer service and all that. But uh, so in 2008, we moved from the Boston area to the Connecticut, back to Connecticut. My wife and I are both from here. And uh, one of our family members had fallen ill and it, my mom lived here still. And, you know, my wife, Patricia's basically the entire family lived here. So it made sense when we started having, you know, kids and they were starting to grow up, made sense to to be closer to home if, if only for built-in babysitters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it was way more than that. And so it took me, I met uh, Amy Rio, who was the realtor who sold me my first property. And she had to show me, I'm going to guess 20 to 25 properties over the course of about three or four months. And back then she was, you know, one broker with three or four agents. Now she's one of the largest brokers in the state of Connecticut. But uh, so back then uh, she doggedly showed me couple dozen properties. And I always found reasons not to buy, right? Oh, this one needs a roof. Oh, I've got to replace doors. Oh, the windows, you know, oh, this one's white and I'd prefer a blue building. (laughs) You know, I mean, just stupid stuff, right? And finally, we pulled into the lot at this uh, property in uh, East Hartford on Clark Street, hence the name of the company. And we walked through it and I start coming up with my excuses. Oh, there's a stained glass, you know, window. Those are a pain in the neck to replace. And yada, yada, yada. And, you know, quietly she's listening to me and she takes her pen out and, you know, pulls out a piece of paper and puts it on the hood of my truck. And I'm, you know, rattling on about the 97 reasons why I'm yeah, not going to yeah. make an offer. And she turned to me and now I'm like six, four, right? So I'm not a small human. She's generously five, one, like I'm a foot, <laughs> foot and a half taller than this on person, stilts. right? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. In, in five inch heels, she's five, one, right? She's tiny. And, um, the, she, she looked me straight in the eye and she goes, look, I like you. You know, I've shown you dozens of properties and you always find a reason not to. Here's the deal. This is the best one I've shown you yet. It'll cash flow the second you own it. And if you don't sign this effing piece of paper, and she didn't use effing, yeah. uh, I'm going to buy it myself. So yeah. sign the GD paper and get. let's move forward. And she handed me the pen and I was like, oh, Totally intimidated, took the pen very daintily from her hand and signed the contract. And like I said, I owned it until uh, next week. We're closing next Friday. You're selling it. Yeah. But I mean, here's the thing, right? So time in my world uh, heals a lot, right? So I bought that property for 99,000 bucks. I probably put 12,000 into it. I bought it with a commission check Mm -hmm. that I I had the previous month and financed, you know, 70% of it. And uh, next week I'll sell that for $420,000, right? Yep. And all I did was I put really good hardworking people in it. I served them. They lived there. They made their families there. When they when they outgrew the place, they moved out and we moved new hardworking people in and we served them. And, you know, along the way, there was a new roof and new doors and new windows and new this and new that. But um, you know, overall it, it cash flowed really well for a really long time and now it's time to trade up. So it's the namesake. Here we go. It's the company namesake. That is cool. It is. Yeah. It's my baby. I'm, 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 
conflicted about selling. I was going to say, what's the biggest yeah. reason to sell? Just because you think the value is topped out and it's time? Or... I don't know that it's topped out. I think there's I think there's plenty of upside still in this market here in Connecticut, but uh, I am going through. So so in the real estate world, I you kind of go through phases, much like technology, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's the startup phase, and then there's the the growth phase and scale and yeah. scaling. You know, to uh, you know, I I usually tie it to revenue, so it's the zero to ten million, ten million to fifty, fifty to a hundred, and and beyond, right? And right now we're in that phase where it's time to trade up, and owning twenty buildings averaging six units each is too much, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we've sold, gosh, we've sold 130 units over the last 18 months and I'm taking that capital and we're buying much larger buildings. So we're kind of okay. consolidating, taking a few steps back to then take a pretty big step forward. So we're now hunting, you know, 50, 75, 100 plus unit buildings um, and uh, building teams around them rather than having, you know, contractors in and out as, as needed. So just trying to be more efficient and, uh, and remove a little bit of stress from, you know, my team and, and my life uh, in that, you know, when you've got that many buildings, I mean, I think we had, yeah, we had a couple dozen buildings at one point. Um, you know, you're herding cats, right? Yeah. So I'd like to herd fewer cats. <laughs> Let's go back to when, I want to go back to the day you, you after you signed that first contract real sure. quick, because I think a lot of people that get into business, let's in, into real estate that never, they, they analysis paralysis, you get too scared to ever do 100%. that. That was me. Um, and I think we all go through that, um, whether it's getting married or, you know, making a commitment or whatever, that's a commitment. Right. What's the very next thing that went through your mind? You, you signed it. Now what? So, so, uh, I mean, what did she say? She was like, finally get it out of here. No, actually she took it, said, thank you. You made a good decision, got in her car and drove away before I changed my mind. She was <laughs> gone. Right. And, uh, I was like, oh, I guess I've got to call my mortgage broker and figure this out. Cause I just committed to a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, you know, it, it, it kind of, I'm going to date myself, but if That's you cool. remember the movie, the the candidate with Robert Redford back oh, in the, I don't know, 70s, mid late seventies. Yeah. yeah. Last scene of that movie is poignant for me in that, you know, he is this dark horse candidate has no shot at winning, but then he won. Right. And the last scene is him grabbing his, his uh, campaign manager and saying, now what? Now right? what do we do? Now what do we do? And that rings true to me because it's, it's exactly the same thing, right? Okay. Um, I now own this building. I'm now responsible for the homes of four people. Now what? Now what do yeah. I do? Right. And so, you know, the first month or two is kind of muscling your way through and trying to do as many things as humanly possible to to make the place clean and safe and then start to upgrade it and make it so that, you know, I have this philosophy around the way that we buy buildings. You know, we buy Frankly, we buy crappy apartment buildings from landlords who aren't really good at their jobs. Mm-hmm. We go in, we fix everything, so we make them clean and safe, and then we start upgrading common areas and and units. So, because my goal is to have those people that live there be happy and proud of where they live and live there a really long time, which saves me money in the long run because mm-hmm. there's no lease ups, there's no you know uh, turns. Um, there, you know, it saves us a lot of money in the, sh- in the, you know, medium to short term, medium right. to long term, yep. which makes the buildings more profitable, which makes them more valuable. And so it's, 
so there's that part of it, but there's also the part that, you know, I've been that kid in that apartment building, right? I mean, I, I know what my parents... Embarrassed to bring your friends over to hang out or, yeah. Well, it, yeah, that or, you know, just the that too. Um, but, you know, having a mom who's working three jobs to to make it all work and give me and my brother, a, a, you know, a, a, a life. And so I respect the hell out of the people that live there. So I feel a responsibility to to serve them because I was, I was that person. Right. Yep. And I haven't forgotten. So the, you know, there's, there's a part of it where I, I fundamentally feel I have a responsibility and, and there's the other part of it is turns out by doing the right thing, we actually do better. So mm-hmm. works for everybody. Yeah. And, um, you know, now we're applying that, uh, from, we're taking that strategy from small businesses or small buildings and bringing it to much larger buildings and communities. So, so now we're kind of rolling into property management. And that's another thing yeah. that yeah. like, you know, when I was when I was learning about this, okay, you either got to learn how to do property management or find really good property managers and understand right. that there's going to be an expense there and you got to account right. for that in, in the cash flow of things, right? Yep. yep. So maybe the magic question, everybody, what's the secret to good project or uh, good uh, property management or how do you, how do you avoid, um, you know, working with poor property managers that might seem good but they're not you know doing what they do what's yeah what what's the right how much should you be spending on property management that kind of stuff yeah so let's start with the with the price um so depending on how many units you hand over um it should cost you somewhere between five and ten percent of the revenue of the property smaller portfolio costs you more larger portfolio costs you less per per uh, building and the the whole idea is, you know, first off, it, it's just like running any kind of business where you have to delegate and, you know, you as the boss are setting the value system and the, you know, the expectations and the standards for how you operate. And then you put processes in place to help the people that you plug into that business system to succeed, right? And then you hold them accountable. And, whether that is uh, a property manager that you outsourced that part of your operation to, or you're vertically integrated like we are, and and that those people work directly for you, it's basically the same process. Um, you know, for for me, I I realized that property managers outsourced, uh, while well intentioned, you know, they they were not just focused on my stuff, they were focused on all their clients as they should be. And so they would deliver on, you know, 80, 85% of my expectations. And I came to the conclusion that wasn't good enough. So mm-hmm. uh, we brought it in house a couple of years ago. And I think we're, I'm much happier. And I think our residents are much happier this way. Um, but, you know, it, it it's the same process regardless, whether you're running an IT firm or a marketing agency or, you know, a real estate business is that you've got you as the as the you know the the leader of the company. You've got to set the value systems and the standards and make sure that you have systems in place. Um, there's a a guy that I've gotten to know, Nick Huber, who's had a really profound influence on on my view of running businesses. And you know, one of the things he said to me a while ago was um, that the you know our job as a CEO or a business owner isn't to hire a players all over the place because it's just not possible. Um, the The idea is that you create business systems that are easily understood and easily managed so that an average person can go in and succeed at that job, 
right? And so that's ultimately my goal is, is how do I plug in a regular human being with regular capabilities? Because I can find a lot of those. And then how can I help them succeed uh, in their roles, whether that's a property manager or a handyman or a plumber or, you know, customer service person or a lease up agent or whatever. And so that's, you know, that's my role here is to make sure that everybody ha- understands what's expected, understands the process that we follow so that it's operationally repetitive across, doesn't matter if you're, you know, in a building over here or a building over there, it's the exact same experience for the, for the residents because it's the exact same process and everybody understands it. And that's my job is to make sure that everybody's crystal clear on who does what with whom, when, and what the expectations are. Very cool. Are you final? Are you finding since you integrated the property management into your company as opposed to outsourcing it that you're able to control the costs? I know a lot of folks that we work with when it comes to IT or the other because we're a service related business. You know, sure. we help healthcare yeah. stuff and we help other uh, small and medium sized businesses with a bunch of different services. IT yeah. being one of those. Yeah. Um, that the biggest reason for us coming in to help with anything is because they're really struggling controlling the overhead and the costs of doing certain things in house and or finding like what you said, the people that can do or that are even willing to show up these days is a big struggle. Like right. people yeah. are, like after two hours of working, like I've had enough of this. I'm, yeah, out, I'm out of here. I'm not into it today. Home. I'm going home. Right. It, what? Right. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the humans, right? I mean, you're, you're dealing with human beings from different experiences and, and, you know, they grew up with their own value systems and some are workaholics and some are just regular people who want to do their nine to five and go home and forget about work until tomorrow morning and others couldn't care less. Right. And so, you know, the way that we look at that is when I'm hiring people, I'm hiring passion players, not paycheck players. Um, you know, we're trying to do, we're trying to make a difference. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as part of coming on to the Clark street team, you got to buy in. And if you do awesome. And if you don't, that's cool. I'll help you find a job somewhere else. I know plenty of people, uh, it doesn't make you a bad person. It just doesn't make you a fit here and that's okay. Um, you know, as far as cost savings go in a lot of cases, it costs us more. Um, and, and that's okay because we get the result that we want, which actually in in the long run makes you know improves cash flow and or makes our buildings more valuable so it's not wasted money it's just deferred uh deferred gratification i guess right yeah and i'm okay i'm okay with that yeah absolutely so yeah for sure like in uh, in uh, that's just it like it might cost you more now right but down the road when you're not losing residents or right. you know as you're gaining more uh more properties and you're you've got a reputation of being a great place to to live and be a part of. That's it, right? That you, you hit upon the exact thing. So I know, having been doing this for a while, I know that my next resident for a vacancy that's coming up, wherever that is, lives probably within a mile and a half of where that building resides. And so that tells me that they're, you know, they're neighborhood hopping, not necessarily town hopping, right? And so part of our job is to make sure that the buildings have a really good reputation and that they have a reputation in that specific community um, as being well-run. And that ranges from, you know, lawns mowed, um, you know, plowed, driveways are plowed first thing in the morning, uh, flowers out front, you um, you know, making sure that there's curb appeal. 
um, you know, making sure that it's well lit and um, that the, you know, the siding is, is, uh, is clean and um, that the roof isn't, you know, falling apart and that it, mm-hmm. it looks like it's been well cared for because it is. You know, I mean, we take care of the exteriors of the building because that's kind of our brand in that neighborhood. And then when they walk in and they see the common areas, like, wow, this is actually a really nice building. I mean, I've had more than one town inspector who walked into a building that hadn't been there for a couple of years because we bought it in the interim. And, you know, I've had more than one say, wow, I, I wish everybody did what you do. I mean, first thing we do is make it clean and safe. And in parallel, I have two teams. I have an MEP team that goes in and looks at all the plumbing, all the electrical, all the HVAC, make sure everything's safe, right? I have another team that goes in and all they do is clean everything up and, and you know, paint the, uh, the the walls and the trim and refinish the floors and replace the lighting and add emergency lighting and make sure all the fire extinguishers are brand new on every floor. And, you know, that stuff matters, right? Because yeah. then the residents realize, oh, new sheriff in town, this guy actually cares, right? And the next layer of that, typically right on the back edge of that is me knocking on doors or a member of my team knocking on doors. Hi, I'm Ed from Clark Street. We now own the building and, you know, here's what you should expect from us. And we've got a a welcome packet that gets hand delivered to every resident um, that explains to them, you know, rules of the road, right? Here's what we expect of you, which is uh, we're, and here's what you should expect of us. You know, you should expect from us um, excellent customer service and, uh, you know, a clean, safe place where you can be proud to live. Um, what we expect of you is pay rent. Mm-hmm. End of list, right? And yeah. simple. And, you know, we find that when we do it and do it right, and it took us a while to get right, get it right. Um, it, uh, you know, people tend to take really good care of the buildings. They pay their rent on time. Um, they give us good references, which helps us fill vacancies. They stay a really long time. You know, on average, I think the average residency last I checked uh, probably a year ago in the state of Connecticut was like 17, 18 months, which means a lot of people move in a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, and our average is like 4.1 years. So, you know, we're better than doubling. Mm-hmm. Um, we're better than doubling the the averages, which, you know, like we were saying earlier, it's that's one less lease up. That's one less turn I've got to do. Um, you know, if something breaks, we go in and fix it. It's easy, right? If the stove goes, we don't fix the stove. We replace the stove. I, I don't even want to deal with it because it's a $500 part and we'll spend $300 fixing it. So out it goes. And, yep. you know, that's the thing. That's like one of those things. Yes, it costs me more, but it's one less thing I got to worry about for the next yep. 10 years. Yep. Right. But man, back in this time when I was learning about this uh, and I was commuting and new kind of doing the new sales thing, I, uh, we ended up uh, renting a place about in, where I was commuting to and living mm-hmm. there, but we still owned our home. And I was like, what can we do? What can we do? So I was, I was at the time I was learning about lease options. Yeah. I'm like, I wonder if we could do a lease option on our house. Sure can. And I'm like, ah. so I found a guy that specialized in, in lease options, you know, helping people, you know, do lease options. So we did, we interviewed a bunch of, uh, a bunch of different, you know, families to come, you know, uh, do lease, you know, purchase our house through a lease option. And we found one that, that seemed to be great. They had the money for the down payment, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they understood the process. Hey, you guys pay this money. If you follow through on the, it was, so it was going to be a 24 month lease. Mm-hmm. And after the 24 months, 
um, you know, you guys buy it, that seven thousand goes towards the purchase price. And good deal for everybody. Up, yeah, they ended up leaving like three months before the end of the twenty four months. I don't know. They just I don't uh. know if they got in trouble or something, but and they were they were like they were good hearted folks. But they didn't take care of the place for sure. Because one of the one of the things I, I was liking about, you know, some of the things I was learning about lease homes, t- people tend to take better care of the property because they know it's going to be theirs, right? Right. And I mean, they didn't totally destroy the place, but you know, they let their kids run around and color on the walls, and they let their cats poop and pee everywhere. And anyway, I well, I got to keep the seven grand, so that was a plus. But right. I spent three quarters of it, you know, repainting the whole house and refinishing the floors right. and stuff like that. But yeah. So how much did you really make? Yeah. But you know, it, it was better than the alternative. Um, so how do you, you know, without being, you know, judgmental and mm-hmm. self-righteous and, you know, you know, playing God with who, you know, who's a good person and who's a bad person. Yeah. It's impossible. You know, and the, you know, beyond doing credit checks and things like that and back or whatever, you know, kind of checking you do before folks come in. Yep. How do you, how do you, be, how are you successfully, you know, finding hardworking, well-meaning people to come in and, you know, uh, make, you know, your units their home? So it's hard, right? Because yeah. humans are hard, um, predictable. They got yeah, yeah, free will. <laughs> yeah, right. That that's that's a persnickety thing. Um, <laughs> so th- it it comes down to our standards and our process, right? So we have ironclad processes and standards that we don't concede. We don't consolidate. You know, yeah. we don't concede on. You know, you have to have a minimum FICO score. You have to make three x the the rent that you're going to pay. Um, I have to, we have to have reference checks that we validate with your last three landlords. Um, we have a specific conversation with your, uh, employer to understand, you know, a is the money you say you make, is that actually what you're making? And B, what kind of employer are they? Would you hire them again? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so you're first, pretty deep. That's pretty deep. I don't, it's I, hard to rent from us. I, I rented no in my twenties and no one ever went that deep. No joke. It's hard. It is hard to rent from us. That's for sure. Do you get first time renters or do you just All pass? Time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. Yeah. A lot of our renters are kids who just graduated high school or they just graduated, you know, from, uh, uh, the, you know, the local technical high school and they're now a plumber's apprentice and they, you know, they need a place and mom and dad are their landlord. And, you know, then I talk with mom and dad and tell them, okay, here's, here's what we expect. You know, and and if there's a problem, um, you know, I now have your phone number, right? Yeah. So, by and large, they're fine. You know, so every once in a while, you I get are it. now in this process uh, by doing dumb stuff trial and error without a doubt. <laughs> yes. Come on, I, I need I need uh, without incriminating anybody or making uh-huh. yourself look too dumb for making a poor decision. What's the what's the silliest thing you ever caught yourself? You know, kind of so. Yeah. So every time that I have not, every time I've let something slide, I've gotten burned a hundred percent of the time. And just, so you know, it'll be fine. You know, just, yeah. Yeah. They seem like such a nice person and you know, okay. Yeah. Their FICO score doesn't quite meet it. And their, you know, their boss wasn't really effusive in, in their uh, recommendation. Um, and you know, I wasn't able to get a hold of all three of their last landlords. Hmm. 
Yeah, I like the guy. Let's do it anyway. I really right? want. Some, I got to get this unit filled. Yeah, I, that has blown up on me almost without exception. And okay. so, um, you know, I it, it was kind of like when, as I was going through the transition from Clark Street being a side hustle to Clark Street actually being a business, you know, I had a bunch of people colleagues and friends within the my my corporate world were like, hey, we want to invest with you. And I was like, yeah, it's a side hustle. It's actually not a business right now. Let me go break stuff. Let me go screw stuff up. Let me learn how to fix it. And then once I get it to the point where it's actually a business where I can take a day off and it still runs without me, uh, then then I'll start to, you know, to raise capital and all that. And in that process, all the stuff I broke was you know, poor management, right? It's, you know, letting somebody slide. It's uh, allowing, you know, a, uh, allowing, you know, a, a resident to have a, a a pet that turns out wasn't a very nice pet. So I also interview dogs. As a matter of fact, I'm a huge dog person. I love dogs. Um, and most of them love me. So I can usually tell, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm one of those. Dogs, can, dogs are good judges of character. They are, and I'm one of those people that gets down, you know, on my on my uh, right crisscross away. applesauce and sit and yeah. and actually, you know, play with the dog. I get down yeah. on their level, um, and yeah, you can tell immediately, right? Yeah. So, uh, but I've had certain situations, and we had one, you know, a few years ago where I walked in and they asked for a, a cat, and we agreed, and I walked in and there was a pit bull. I was like, that's a big cat, uh, oh, and wow. let it slide. And then we came back like a couple weeks later, one of my, a member of my team was there and he's like, yeah, I don't think they're taking good care of that dog. And I was like, why, what's going on? And I was there that afternoon and I walk into the kitchen and they have it chained to the radiator. What? And uh, I was like, all right, two things are going to happen right now. First off, take that dog off the radiator because A, it's really dangerous because that's gas. And if he breaks it, this whole place is going up. So stop. And two, um, I'm reporting animal control because you're abusing this dog. And uh, they were not happy. Uh, Turns out they didn't renew their lease, which was coming up about a month or two after that. And they absolutely destroyed the place on purpose. Um, And, you know, in a four unit building, it was a Clark Street, actually. um, They probably did. So for me to completely renovate a two bed, one bath apartment probably cost me somewhere between 18 and $20,000, right? So brand new kitchens, brand new bathrooms. Mm. They did about $10,000 worth of damage. And then I had to uh, rehab the place as well. So I've spent, uh, it's closing in on 28, almost $29,000 to get that, to, to get that place. I mean, they just go after it with hammers and or, 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 what, what do um, they do? The place smelled like somebody died in it and I couldn't find the body. So I assumed that it was feces and I think yeah. they spread it all over the floors. And um, so I had to rip up all the floors and replace them because I couldn't get the smell out. Uh, same thing goes for the walls. Um, basically gutted the place uh, right down to the studs and started over. And so, you know, they're... $1,200 security deposit, which they did not get back, um, mm-hmm. you know, basically was enough to pay for the gas money that my contractors needed to get back and forth. <laughs> I was going to say for about a month yeah. while we redid the place. Yeah, it was bad. Wow. 
So uh, was and that was a result of you got you kind of me letting corners. somebody slide. Yeah. yeah, yep. You know, I think in that case it was a uh, that was in the transition from when we were outsourcing our our property management and the property manager talked me into you know relenting on some of our standards and I regret it. So yeah, not good. So you hold fast to them now forever. Yes. Yeah. Never again. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it can, to some that can seem, well, that's really cold hearted. What if someone comes in and they're just below that standard and they have a real need? Well, there's other ways to approach that, I suppose too, right? It's just not going to be a fit for you. So from a fair housing perspective, I have to treat everybody the same, right? So there's a legality there. Uh, So we do, right? The, the things that I will let slide, um, it's one thing in spe- specifically, like if I get a credit report and I see that, you know, the the mom pays, cars are on time, uh, credit cards are on time, everything's on time, but there's a, there's a line item in there for a Middlesex Hospital emergency room. And she got crushed because her little one got sick. She didn't have health care at the time. She brought the child in and took care of, you know, took care of the their her little one and turns out it was a gigantic bill and she couldn't afford it and you know the the hospital reported or all the credit credit agencies I couldn't care less about that that's fine I'm yeah. never going to crush her for that um you know so if that 620 fico score that I need turns out to be a 510 because middlesex reported it at all three credit union or credit yeah. reporting agencies that doesn't matter to me that's fine we're good you know, um, I, I, I'm guessing I was wrong, but I always thought that that healthcare debt couldn't be held against you for official credit scores. Is that not the case? Uh, it is the case unless they unless they charge it off. Is my understanding? Unle- unless they write the uh, write they write it off. Correct. So if they if they, if send they force you, off, you into bankruptcy, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's. So. I think that. I think that's fair. Be a human, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there are, and there there are always those situations. Like, you know, during COVID, we had, you know, four or five people that uh, we had a lot of residents who lost their jobs temporarily. We had four or five who kind of went into the bunker yeah. and wouldn't return phone calls, wouldn't return emails, thought, I, you know, thought we were coming to get them. <laughs> and I finally got in the car and knocked on the door and was like, hey, look. I am never in a million years going to make you homeless in the middle of a pandemic. It's never going to happen. We just, I just need you to talk to me. Let's work yeah. this out. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, one of those people turns out they were a web designer and I had a whole bunch of projects that I needed done um, that had been sitting on the sidelines. And so I hired her yeah. and she was awesome. She works for me to this day on, on project work. And so that worked out until her gig you know, her restaurant gig came back and then she went back to working on that. And every once in a while she does a project for me, you know, two others, uh, found other work and two others, you know, they were down for 90, 120 days. And, you know, until their bosses figured out how to transition from seated restaurants to takeout. Right. And, um, you know, in that case I said, look, you know, here is what we're going to do. Um, you don't owe me any rent for the next 90 days. We're going to extend your lease for 24 months yep. and the 90 days, I'm going to break that up over the next 24 months. Just amortize it and out. And just amortize it out and yep. we'll call it even and don't win, sweat win. 
Right. Yep. And they are residents to this day. They're awesome. And you know, it's, it worked out for everybody. Yeah. So, so when, yeah, it's, it's interesting what happens Ed, when you have a heart and you have a heart for people and you're willing to sit down and get creative to figure it out. Just communicate, right? Like it's, my, my policy is win, win or no deal. And generally, right. if you can find somebody that's um, a, a, of the same mindset that you can work out something that's a win for them and a win for you. Every time. Yeah. Yep. And nobody feels like they either got shorted or the other person right. doesn't feel like they got taken advantage of. Right. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't believe in, uh, you know, deals where no one feels good about it. Right. It's then that's not a deal. Yep. One, if one person wins too much, it's, it's interesting. They might not ever say it, but you know, they feel a little dirty about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yep. you know, I mean, there are, there are certain times I'm, I'm, uh, I'm today, right. Actually there's a closing today where a good friend of mine, who's also my business partner, um, you know, a while back I said, look, I, I prefer being your friend than your business partner. And if we're going to continue to be business partners, I'm not sure we're going to be friends. So I'd rather be your friend. Yeah. And, you know, we went back and forth and, and negotiated a deal. And um, I think financially he's going to make out better, which I'm okay with because just the stress level of dealing yeah. with it is worth it. Right. So, yeah. Um, and I don't think and we're still friends. it has to be equal, equal. No, right? it doesn't it just, have to be you get want. half the pie. I get half the pie. Right. It right. just means that you both you both win in an up in a deal that says I'm good. I don't have to do 20 years for strangling him. Yep. <laughs> and and he, you know, has a windfall, right? And you know, like a therapy it, opportunity there. And, right? <laughs> right? And then Saturday night we'll probably go have a beer together and that's yeah. okay, right? That's yep. good. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, everybody okay, so outside of outside of when when you're not working, what are you doing? What what, what are you doing with your family? You guys have yeah. kind of special things you guys like to do or you got any hobbies that keep you, you know, busy? So, you know, it's interesting. My uncle asks me all the time, you know, what are your hobbies? Because he, he didn't have kids and, you know, he's kind of adopted me as one of his de facto kids. And, yeah. and he's like, you know, what do you what do you do for hobbies? And he he's the most interesting human I know. Right. He, you know, he uh, uh, rehabs old Shelby's, you know, Mustangs. And oh, yeah. And, and uh, he's he's a boater and, you know, all the things you get to do when you don't have children. Right. And uh, all the fun stuff. And. <laughs> Um, I said, your nieces are my hobby. <laughs> I follow <laughs> them around. I go to swim meets and softball games. And um, so a lot of it, especially now getting into like late February, early March is softball season. So my okay. my youngest is a, you know, she plays at a pretty high level. And what, is, what so, position does she play? Uh, in high school, she plays shortstop. And then travel ball, she plays outfield. And okay. um, she's going you know, into college, right? Uh, that's her plan. That's her dream. Where, you, does so. she know where she's going yet? No, no, she's only a sophomore. You, do you know where you want her to go? I want her to go someplace she's happy because uh, that's the right answer, Dad. Yeah. I, well, the, the thing is, <laughs> is that I, I have a life experience there, right? In that I went to college thinking I was going to play baseball. I was a what do they call that? Preferred walk on or whatever, which meant yeah. that I was good enough to to be allowed on the field, but not good enough to earn a scholarship out of high school. Yeah. And I got hurt like the week before uh before college fall ball started and you know i was done that was it yeah. game over right and but i loved the school and i was there because i loved the school and so i graduated from that school yeah. and so you know the advice that um maggie's uh travel 
group had always said was go to a school you love and then play softball, right? And I wholeheartedly that way, if the softball doesn't that. work out, you're somewhere you love. Yeah, because you know the thing is, is that a four year scholarship is not a four year scholarship; it's four one year scholarships. Yeah, and so just because conditional, yeah, it, just because you played so- so- freshman year does not mean you're going to be on the team sophomore year. Yeah, and uh, so you know, go to a place you love. So that's what I want. So what's her what's her favorite school? Uh, I don't I don't know. She's oh. got a list of thirty that she wants, <laughs> and. Uh, I was like, all right, well, you know, good luck with that. And so, you know, what about this one? Yeah. What about this one? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like a shotgun approach, I suppose. You know, just <laughs> at some point there, you know, see yeah. what sticks. <laughs> right. So I think this year is kind of the year where you start to gain a little bit of insight into which types I mean, of programs are interested. It's still really, it's still, well, this really, is the recruiting year because junior okay. year is when it really starts. September of junior year is when it really starts in earnest. So it's this spring season and this summer season where she catches an eye or doesn't. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, who knows, but right now it's, <laughs> yeah, I think the list is about 30, 30 schools long. So we'll see. Very cool. As excited yeah. as a dad. So it's you're fun. a softball fan. That's what you're doing. Uh, right I am very much. So yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So we do a lot of that. So that's camps and travel oh. and we fly all over the country to watch her go play ball. So that's pretty cool. So how old was she when you first got her into softball? Ooh, she got herself in. So she got herself in. She come home, say, "Dad, I want to play ball." Yes. So, well, it was it was more than that. It was you know, as a two year old, I toss her a ball just playing, and she'd fire it back at me like Nolan Ryan. I'm like, "Ooh, that." Kid's and you're like guarding yourself. Like, like, hey, yeah, whoa. it actually hurt, right? Whoa, <laughs> yeah, hey, cool it, Tiger. You're at a twelve, and I need you at an eight, kid. We're inside, right? <laughs> um, and she gravitated for it. You know, her older sister. <laughs> played but i remember vividly the first practice we were we were leaving the first practice and i hear this little voice she was like six asking which one of you signed me up for this i was like oh boy (laughs) turns out she liked swimming more so she became a swimmer (laughs) and but in that interim you know mag kind of fell in love with following big sister around on the softball field and fell in love with the game and you know she's she's pretty good so we'll we'll see that's awesome. Yeah. Baseball is the first game I, I played as a kid. And my my oldest, my son, who's 13, today, we're recording this on his happy birthday. birthday. So a week from now, this will come out. So happy week after your birthday, Declan. Uh, happy birthday, Declan. He, uh, he, he uh, a couple years back, showed an interest in baseball. He, he, was, he wasn't super interested in sports right away. But yeah. then... I, mostly because a lot of the time with sports, we get I think as kids we get interested because we see our parents or somebody we know right. we like get really excited about it or we watch or buddies it. yeah it's buddies right. or we see it on TV right. and we see the feedback that is cool and then we want to do it that's how it was with right. sports yep and uh, with him he was just not into the, all that kind of stuff so he never saw that saw that and I was so busy with work and things he never saw me sitting down watching baseball getting really excited right or basketball right. or football. And but eventually he got he got interested because his friends were playing. And then two years ago he's like, Dad, I think I want to learn how to play baseball. It's like, well, we got to start learning on the rules, you know, teach you the rules, watch some games yep. and stuff. And and it was too late to sign him up for little league in the spring. But I signed him up for a, a summer a summer uh, camp like a, a Babe Brewers, Ruth or something like was, that. Yeah. So brew the so we're in the Wisconsin area, southeast yeah. Wisconsin, and so the Brewers do a camp all over the state at different times in the summer. They have these week long camps. So I signed yeah. them up for one, uh, and it was fun, but it was tough on him because he was absolutely green. Right. I worked on him leading up to it so he could throw and catch. 
relatively well, but not near as good as these other kiddos that had, right. they had been, been playing, playing for four teams. or five years, right? And he was in that he was in that eleven, twelve year old bracket, so I had some bigger kids. And but they were all really cool. They didn't treat him bad or, you know, they like tried to bring him along, but he kind of felt that he was pulling them down. So the next year we signed him up for to actually play on a team. He played on a team and he actually I mean, he got I don't know, God bless him with a great couple coaches. There were two police officers and they you know, their kids played and they knew all the kids on the team because they had been, you know, in the same league for the for five years, but they right. worked with him really hard. He moved, he worked his way from last batter in the order up to sixth wow on, on 13 kids on the team good for him and because he just he didn't have a great swing but he didn't miss he had good timing right. good hand-eye miss, coordination is right half the and, battle uh, it was so cool i remember one day he was playing he got to play center field he usually is off in right field which yep. is totally cool and he got to play center field once and coach i'll give him a shot out in center you know and uh, it was like fourth or fifth inning. We were up by quite quite a bit, but they were rallying. And two outs, and someone just cracked the line drive right to him. And I'm thinking, oh, boy. You know, right. I have faith in my son, but I'm like, this is a hard hit ball. He's Please never catch seen it. anything Please catch like it. Please this catch in practice. It. Right. And he just – he literally just whoosh, stuck his hand up, and the, and the ball went right in. I love that. And – I looked at the coach. He looked at me, and we just jumped up. We looked out at Declan, and right. he's like jumping up and down. He's so yeah. proud of himself. You know? And he'll remember that forever. Yeah. Forever. He'll yep. be 55 years old and remember that experience, which yeah. is and wonderful. He, and he's hooked. He, yeah. he loves baseball now. And, Good. Uh, you know, so. Here's what I know about sports. A, um, yeah. I know this more from a girl's perspective, but, uh, but I think it's true with boys as well. They're – you know, 50% ESPN did a, did a, uh, like a study on the impact of, uh, teen sports, um, on kids and their, their ability to succeed in society and all that. And, you know, they're, you know, 50% less likely to experiment with, with alcohol and drugs. They have a, you know, a half grade point average higher than their peers just because they want to keep playing. Um, you know, they're, 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 they tend to have safer driving records. I mean, it's just, Line item after line item after line item after line item of how good it is for kids, and ninety nine point nine percent of the of the kids out there will never play beyond high school if they even mm -hmm. play in high school. Yep. But the thing is, is that they'll learn teamwork, they'll learn leadership, they'll learn how to you know group dynamics and how to manage and how to follow how to overcome. And, yeah, all of that, yep. right? Yep. And all of those things serve them well in, in life. And so I'm a huge advocate, you know, with girls, it, it comes down to, you know, things like body image and confidence and, you know, the ability to advocate for themselves and things like that. And it's, you know, it's true. Yep. I, yeah. I mean, I look back on, you know, uh, whether it was little league when I was young or then playing football and then play, playing basketball in high school and being terrible at it, you know, <laughs> but played anyway, you know, and running yeah. track, you know, it was track and football for me and baseball in high school didn't have a team. We had a, a Legion team that I yep. played a little bit on, but more in middle school and baseball, but it's, there's so much that you yeah. learn and you don't even, cause you're having fun or when you're losing, you're not having fun, but then you got to come back and play some more. Like there's things that translate to life that, yep. and the, the one sad thing about it is, is that a lot of times with sports, especially in in high school is it becomes, and I've noticed this outside looking in now as an adult, kind of seeing our local, uh, uh, in a medium sized town with a bigger school. I grew up in a really small town with a small school, um, that there's this, 
there's this dynamic of they start really young and they'll they put them on they 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 team kids join leagues and then they cherry pick the best ones and put them on these special leagues yep they call them in our town in manitowoc they call them juniorships probably great programs you know hard-working people that put a lot of time energy effort you know investing into these kids but it it you so you take people at a very young age that show you know aptitude and you 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 pour into them because you think they're going to be the best outcome in the end. Right. When it's not often, that's not always the case, especially in sports. It's the yeah. one that have to work super hard for long years that end up overcoming the ones that have some natural talent. Right. And Late I see a lot of a kids, thing. they just, they turn it off and yeah. they're, they're just that's like, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't get to play anyway, or I just get to sit and watch, or I'm just, right. you know, they think I'm a scrub. So, or I didn't get picked for the good team, so I, right. I guess I'm just going to go play Fortnite now. Yeah, you know? and yeah, it's uh, and it's that's like a shame. The, the, right, the hell's paved with good intentions, right? The the intention is good for the and why they want to do it, but it doesn't always, you know, reap yeah. the best outcomes. And you know, it's interesting. Like my brother, who's like three years younger than I am, is twice the athlete I ever was, but I worked my butt off, and you know, we both got to a certain point, and you know, if he just wasn't into it, he's like, yeah, I'm done. Like, you know, he picked up a tennis racket and within a year he was, you know, one of the better players in the area. And then after that, he was even better and got crazy and, you know, tossed him a basketball and, you know, was absolutely ridiculous on a basketball court. And, you know, me, I'm, I'm the guy who, you know, trying really hard and, uh, and the, you know, he, would have been that kid, right? He was an obvious, you know, he's 6'8", he's built like yeah. a, you know, he's built like Rob Gronkowski. I mean, he's just <laughs> a gigantic athletic human being. And you, know, you look at him, you look at me, he's by far the better athlete. But, you know, I worked my butt off and got to a certain point till the point where I couldn't play anymore. But, um, you know, when you're picking those kids at six, seven, eight years old, you, you will... 100% of the time miss one or two of those kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, the obvious ones are easy to spot. There's a, there was a kid, uh, her, her, well, um, very good friends of ours. And, but she was, uh, you know, two inches taller, um, a stride faster, understood the geometry of any game she played better than anybody else on the field at seven, you know, division one player, potentially um, a uh, professional player, she's a basketball player. She's now six, two and can jump out of the gym. And, you know, <laughs> as soon as she, as soon as her feet hit the, hit the ground, she can hit the, she can hit the jump shot, you know, um, and she's tough as nails and she's 16 years old. And I pretty sure if I got on a court with her, she'd hand me my head. And, uh, you know, so those kids are easy to spot, right? But it's the kid who's five, four, at the same, you know, at, 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 at an eighth grade and they've already been pushed to the side, but yeah. turns out that five, four kid grows 10 inches and now he's six, two as a freshman. Right. And, um, Ooh, you know, that point guard is actually still a point guard, but now he's six, two and whoa, and he's yeah. not done growing. Right. Yep. Um, I played high school ball with a kid um, I didn't play on the same team with him, but he played at our, our, our local uh, rival. Um, you may remember, actually, you may remember, he was a buck, um, Vinny Baker. Yeah. 
Vin so Baker, for sure. Vin Baker grew up in Old Saber, Connecticut. Okay. Great kid. When I played against him, so I'm like six in high school. I was probably six two, six three. He might have been six four, six five, right? Okay. And he was good, but the kid that I I think he was a year younger than I am. So the kid that played for Old Saybrook was really good, like all conference. I mean, he was a really good player. Goes to Hartford and grows, you know, six inches. So. The next time I, you know, I graduated from high school, I went off to my school. He went to U-Hart, I think. Next time I saw him, he was getting drafted. And he was 6'11", and he was gigantic, and, you know, and he was pretty damn good. And you would have missed that kid. And yeah. he was special, right? Yep, so. absolutely. When I was, it's funny, I, 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 in seventh grade, I moved to a, a new town, small town called Stevenson up in the UP of Michigan. And I was still growing. And in eighth grade, I hit 6'2". And it was me and one other person, actually two other people, um, one other person, Nathan and Kevin, Nathan Anderson and Kevin Schwartz. We were the three tallest kids at that time. Mm -hmm. I stopped growing. Everybody, I always thought I was going to keep growing. I bought a right. pair of 13 shoes because I thought my my parents Aim thought my feet were going to keep growing. Right. I stopped. That was right. it. 6'2 was it. So two Nathan, pairs of socks it was. a year and a half was 6'8". Yeah. And phenomenal athlete, big hearted guy. And, but it's like, um, yeah, you just don't know when those things when those things are going to hit. You don't know. Here's an yeah. interesting question. Um, you know, I've got three girls, and um, good luck. I have two. My, yeah, good luck. Like one boy and three girls. <laughs> one of them, so uh, Aria, she's quasi interested in sports sometimes, but she's she's very. Gosh, she's phenomenal with art and craft and very creative. So we'll see. But sometimes she'll get into these things where I want to do this, I want to do that. A lot of yeah. times it's influence around her and stuff. But as a dad with now young women in sports, what's yeah. the biggest challenge you see that they face uh, being, you know, athletes in sports that are that's predominantly when it comes to success driven. Yeah, you know, later adult in life, you know, most most of quote unquote successful athletes, if you're going to judge by money or what they're doing or who they're coaching, comes out of what's what's generating. Which let's say on the male side, what's sure. And I'm not talking about money success. And what's what's the biggest challenge you see as a dad growing up with, you know, your girls now becoming women in sports um, for them moving forward. Wow, uh, that's a long list. So so I see that. Um, their male peers tend to talk down to them. Oh, really? Um, and, you know, it's funny. I had a conversation with with my youngest, and we were at a Yard Goats game, which is the local uh, minor league team okay. here in Yard Connecticut. Goats. And, and we got uh, the Timber Rattlers. There you go. Right, same thing. <laughs> and, you know, I think Colorado Rockies. So it's like a double-A okay. Colorado Rockies. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, my youngest is, you know, I mean, she's faced softball pitchers who throw in the high 60s, low 70s, like a 72 mile an hour fastball is basically equivalent of 101 mile an hour baseball, right? Different because you're pitching from 43 feet versus yeah, yeah. 60 feet, six inches. And, um, you know, this, this guy is pitching and he is oiling it up. I mean, he's solid 95, 96, 97. Uh, didn't look like he had a lot of movement, but we weren't sitting quite behind home plate. Yeah cool part about minor league baseball is you can get, you can get the lower tier you seats. You can get some good old for seats. five bucks yeah. a night and yep. it's awesome, and right? Dollar hot dogs and exactly. Cokes. Yeah. One of my favorite <laughs> nights a year. And, uh, 
you know, they, she had, Mags had, um, you know, high school baseball players who were like, you know, you, you couldn't hang with us. Yeah. And I was like, you should go, you should go, you should go hit with them. Like, cause I know for a fact she could hit with them. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that because we would go to the batting cages and the, she would be, you know, in the softball cage and it's like a thunderclap when she makes contact. And pretty soon all the baseball players, their dads stop paying attention to what they're doing. And, you know, few of them start paying attention to what Mag's doing. Right. And I was like, so we're at this yard goats game. I'm like, could you hit him? She goes, I mean, I, she goes probably. And I'm like, you know, the fact that it, I mean, that's a professional athlete. Right. And just the fact that she had that confidence you know, I mean, there was a little humility there and a little bit of doubt, and that's healthy, right? Because uh, you know, at that point, she was a freshman in high school, but she had, you know, she had just had a really good s- spring season and summer season, so she had every reason to think she could do it. Yeah. And so I brought her to the batting cage, put her in the baseball batting cage, and threw ninety-five mile an hour fastballs at her. You know, the machine, not my, yeah, not yeah. me. Yep. And you know, she did okay. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, so you can hit that kid. How about that? You, you know, know, if you've got the – in baseball, that's what I love about it. It's it's so fundamental and principle-driven. If you can right. get the fundamentals down, you can do the little things right. And like uh, with a pitcher, it, it like softball still boggles my mind is even when – and I, cause I haven't watched it that much. When I do watch it, it's that timing and release of the pitch that Ugh. throws my brain for a loop because I've got 20 years of watching – pitchers release and multiple different types of release you know low medium high you know lefty righty whatever but my my brain and my eye understands when that ball's coming out and even if a fast pitch or a slow pitch what it's going to take to get you know what i mean yeah so so we had a a, a quick interesting story so a, a buddy of mine who was a dad on one of the teams that mags played for yeah um so he played at a really, really high level. He played in college and was, you know, all everything, just a really talented baseball player. Good guy too. And we go to this, um, this, uh, uh, tryout basically. And his daughter is in, and my daughter, his oldest and my youngest are the same age. And, um, you know, he knows I played a little bit. I know he played a lot. And so, um, you, you know, George Springer, the uh-huh. center fielder for, I think he plays for the, um, uh, might be the Blue Jays now, Toronto, I think. From, yep. But he played for yeah, the Astros. I mean, all-star. I mean, really talented guy. He's from New Britain, Connecticut. And his younger sister, Nikki, Nicole, pitched for Ohio State softball. Okay. Right? Okay. So Nicole is pitching, is a friend of, somehow they're all friends, right? And so Nicole is a friend of the lady who runs the travel program that Maggie was trying out for, which we ended up playing for. She ended up playing for. And Nikki is pitching. And she's not taking it easy on these kids. She is, I mean, it's 68, 69, 70 miles an hour fastballs, just BBs. Yeah. Doug turns to me and goes, could you hit that? I'm like, not a chance. Not on my <laughs> best day. Could you hit that? And I asked him, he goes, there's no way. There's no yeah. way. There's yeah. no way. And, a, you know, these, animal. these little girls who are yeah. not little, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade kids, um, you know, we're hacked, we're taking their hacks and, you know, Nikki would dial it back for the kids, but not by much. I mean, there's still, you know, she might've been taking five or 10 miles an hour off of it, but it's still a 60 mile an hour fastball. And, uh, you know, the kids were, most of the kids were handling it. So it's a was, different game. I think softball is harder. I think it's harder to hit a softball than a baseball. I was always astonished. I'm still astonished when I watch 
softball pitchers pitch when they when they pitch I'm like I feel like that's such a violent of a rotation of their arm there's got to be a lot of injuries do, do they see a lot of injuries yeah, it, with it you know it's interesting my experience is that it's actually the up the opposite right it's less. is that it's there are fewer in, in, there are fewer um injuries because it is a more natural motion for your shoulder, shoulder apparently and not from the elbow yeah I think it I I I I you I mean pitchers get hurt all the time, right? Yeah, but, sure. Um, but I think you know from what I've seen, I've seen more baseball pitchers with arms and slings than softball pitchers, for sure. Yeah, it's almost it's to me it's almost like listening to a foreign language when you're like, because well, when I watch a softball right. pitcher, I'm like, how do they have any control with that whole movement? Yeah, and all and that and how and consistency and stuff, and they probably think the same thing with yeah, you know, with with fastball pitchers or something, you know, yeah, of like how do you you get the whole wind up and how do you do it every time and get right. consistent placement and stuff. And I, I've had two experiences where I faced. Um, this this guy, uh, I'm blanking on his name. He played basketball for UConn, and then he but he played for the he pitched for the Toronto Blue Jays, and he was a high schooler, same age as I, as I am. Um, oh, what is his name? Anyway, it doesn't matter. So yeah. I faced him. He played for a, a big school uh, called Hill House around here, and I I faced him hitting, and it was literally one, two, three, have a seat. Right, yeah. I never even took the bat off <laughs> my shoulder, and thirty years later. I'm hitting off of one of Maggie's peers. Just we're messing around. It was like a father daughter game. And this, this kid who was pitching is going to be pitching in the ACC next, next two years from now. And uh, she's really talented and same experience. One, two, three, have a seat. Wow. Woo. Never even saw it. Catch your breath. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy. So Scott Burrell. That was the yeah. Team. There you go. Yeah, going back to that original, the, the struggle what you're seeing right now is yeah. just male athletes kind of talking down to or not, you know, making well, I, making females feel like they're they're, they're less not quite. I hundred percent. Yeah. Or, I, I I think um I think my youngest experiences that all the time. Yeah. And uh, you know, she has enough confidence, and I see that a lot of her peers have enough confidence to kind of laugh it off. Like <laughs> you have no idea what what you're saying, yep. um, because in a lot of cases they're probably better athletes than the boys anyway. So, what do you think is holding women's sports back from catching more fire and being just more popular in general? Exposure. I, I think that uh, it, it's nice to see over the last couple of years. Women's basketball, for instance, I'm a basketball junkie, right? Uh-huh. Um, five years ago, I never would have heard of Caitlin Clark. Yeah. Now she's must much must see TV. Like I am making sure that when Paige Buker's playing or at UConn or Caitlin Clark's playing at Iowa, that I'm paying attention to it because they're ridiculous. And you know, I I I think that giving more exposure to women's athletics is is the way to light that fire um, because then you start to realize, you know, I saw an interview with Sue Bird, who was a, uh, you know, all everything basketball player for UConn. She played for Seattle, she, a couple MVPs. I think she won a few titles, uh, world titles with uh, Seattle. And, you know, she was saying that, you know, you think you can play with me and you can't, mm. right? And you can't because, you know, they are so beyond the, the human being, like, us mere mortals, you and me, right? There's us, there's you and me. And then there are genetic freaks that are professional athletes, male, mm-hmm. female, doesn't matter, 
right? They are, it's not an incremental difference. It is a quantum leap in terms of how they see the game, how they understand strategy, the physical aspects of the game that they are, you know, that they can tune their bodies to that, you know, I always, I always laugh at, you know, the guys that get so upset about, you know, geez, I could do that. No, 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 you couldn't. <laughs> Not on your best day. And, you know, cause like, I mean, even my experience going to school, I was on that field for, you know, healthy. I was on that field for a week. Right. Yeah. And 30 seconds into the first practice, I knew I didn't belong. Like yeah. I, I was, I, these guys are, you know, I'm, I'm not built like them, yeah. you know? And so it's obvious and male or female, I think you, you start to appreciate excellence. And, um, you know, the fact is, is that one of the ways to get people to pay attention so that they are, they have the same opportunities is to just let them play and play on a big stage, right? You know, I was reading an article today, actually, this morning of the top 100 paid athletes in the world. Not one of them is a woman, which is ridiculous. You know, you think about the Mia Hams and the uh, Sue Birds and, um, you know, all those World Cup soccer players and all those WNBA players and all those uh, professional softball players and track athletes. And, you know, could you run with a woman who does the, you know, the, the hundred meters, um, you know, pick your sport, not a chance. There's not, not a chance, not a chance. You know, I, I raced my, I raced my oldest daughter when I was uh, a little haughty. I, I was like, you know, we'll do up and back in the pool. It's 50 meters, right? Mm-hmm. She was already touching and, you know, she was a good high school swimmer, right? Yeah. And really wasn't passionate about it. Didn't want to take it anywhere. Just, it was fun. I hadn't got halfway down the first lap when she had already touched and was coming back and she patted my head as she went by me yeah. on her way to finishing the, the lap, you know? And I'm like, you know, I thought my lungs were going to explode. Um, <laughs> and I was going as hard as I could and she, it wasn't even close, right? Yeah. I mean, athletes are built different. They're yeah. different. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. You brought you brought up a good point with, uh, well, well, a point. You know, it's like for, for better, for worse, for good, a or bad the 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 reality of i th- and i think it's good i think sports done right are the ultimate meritocracy it's True. it's you you put in the work there's there's always some talent you know yep. talent will help but sometimes that holds you back cuz then you're not putting in the work right. you put in the work the results reap the reward but the you know whether it's you're the best dart thrower in the world because you've spent the most time and done the most things the right way over and 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 over again to where you become the best dart player on the planet you're you're never going to be paid like the best soccer player on the planet because there's just not that many as many people that are fans like rabid fans like hooligan fans Right. Of darts is there are soccer. That doesn't mean you're a bad athlete. Doesn't nope. mean that you know. And same and same thing. Like I, I've never gone to watch a women's professional game, a basketball game. I I've have. watched them on TV. It's on. And and 
and I've gone to see men's professional basketball games, right? And I've watched them on TV. I, I, th- I think with any sport, you've got to have a heart for the sport to be a fan or to be a player, right? right. right? And it's like, I don't, and I don't think it's necessarily because I'm a man. It, I think a women's game of professional basketball is a different game. It's a different strategy. It's, it's more different than a men's it is. game. Yeah. It's not, it's not played above the rim as often for good or bad. I think it's if a more they, fundamental strategic game. It's actually more interesting to watch, you, to be honest. Got, you see a lot more triple threat position play. Correct. You see a lot more of that kind of stuff. So yep. anyway, but that's probably but the challenge is The challenge is it costs you $300 to go to a Knicks game and $40 yeah. to go to a, a Connecticut Mystics game. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. The so there's a different cost there. Right. So, so, you know, maybe from a standpoint, okay, if I'm going to market, I'm going to market to local communities that, and, and communities that can afford to come to my game and build up a big base. And as they grow up, they're going to stick with my game. And, you know, the NFL wasn't always this multi-billion dollar, you know, industry, you know, uh, company. It, the NFL was grassroots little towns like Green Bay who still have right. a team, but like, yeah. But this is like club teams, right? Right. But they anyway. So we could yeah. talk all day. That would be fun. Sure maybe next time. And yeah. This has been great. I, I, I gotta let you go because I got to get back home. I got to take my son and his friends to actually we're t- we're taking them to um, Appleton, Wisconsin, which is like an hour okay. from my house. Yep. That's the home of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, sometimes okay. known as the Utter Tuggers. Uh, but they change their name every once in a while, the, the brats or whatever. But anyway, the Timber like Rattlers, the they have good. a training facility that they rent out. So I rented out um, two lanes, a batting lane and a pitching lane for him and his buddies Fantastic. for an hour. And then we're going to go get some food and then we're going to take them to this indoor you know, trampoline fun zone thing where they get to just go ham on the place for a while. So that's Sounds what I'm great. doing this afternoon. But Yeah, well, enjoy. Hey. This was great. This was yeah, really good. I, I, this I never know what I'm, what we're gonna get when when we when we come in with a new podcast guest. But this has been one of my favorites, Ed. This is amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Truly, my pleasure, Brian. Thank you. 